What is up, rugby fans? Scott here from the Safa Pod. A little bit later on, we'll be joined by Springbok fly half and recently crowned Rugby Africa champion Libby Janssen van Rensburg. We'll also look back at this weekend's Curry Cup fixtures and review the Stormers' heartbreak at the hands of Munster. Speaking of which, I'd like to welcome in a man who was at the game. Steegs, have you recovered from that both physically and mentally yet? Have you ever been a part of something that you just don't want to do? Like a, like, like a South African rugby podcast when you know you finally, after a few days, have to address the massive elephant in the room. That's your prize Stormers losing the finals. But we're here anyways, and we're going to deal with it, and we're going to talk about it finally, because we haven't really been talking about it. But anyways, putting that aside, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I'm always happy to be here, even though it might not sound like it this episode. <laughs> but we are here for your entertainment and a bit of kakbrat. Now, that game, obviously, Storm is 14, months to 19. That's our review. That's it. Moving on from that, the curry... No, I'm kidding. Munster obviously ended their their year on a high, beating the Stormers in their own backyard. When not very many people maybe backed them to do it, I think their grit and determination was was outstanding. And the better team on the day definitely won. Two of the standout players for me were Connor Murray, whose box kicking was just pinpoint, and RG Sneeman, who looked menacing and definitely playing himself back into box contention, possibly for a starting spot with the way things are lining up at the moment. Many people kind of wondered why Munster had kept him on through his injury woes. I think he's only paid about four or five games to them over the last kind of three or four years. Proved the reason why over the weekend he's he's a trophy winner. Steegs, what, what was your impression from being at the actual game? Jeez, I can't even emphasize how much I don't want to talk about this, but let's just do it. <laughs> honestly, man, honestly, the, the better team on the day one, I think... Man, so many videos, so many things just kept popping up on my YouTube and internet, social media, everything. And just Stormers are just way too overconfident. I mean, as, as much as we we always back the Stormers on this podcast, I was there wasn't a single second in that game or the build-up to the game where I wasn't nervous. I texted you literally right before and I said, mate, I am nervous about this. This could go horribly wrong. And somebody I know also texted me and was like, oh, Stormers should have this. And I was like, look, I'm hyped for the game, but I've got a sinking feeling that Monster might have the edge. And in the end, they did. At the stadium, I was already 10 deep and that was an hour before the game, mate. (laughs) I just couldn't. I, <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't do it, man. Well, t- to be to be fair, let's let's start off with some positives. Met the the winner of the competition and the giveaway. What an absolute gem! It was awesome that the the right person ended up winning it. She managed to get a extra ticket for her dad to join as well. So she went with her, her parents, and that was a very successful giveaway. She really enjoyed the old uh, old top. Was a huge like little bonus great feeling to be able to hand it over and that which was really awesome um but yeah that game i mean the the vibe was there man it was it was so many of the of the interviews of all ex-players said it was the, the stars aligned for the stormers to win it but it just doesn't always go like that you know it's just sometimes fate seems like it's on your side but it's not you know and uh unfor- unfortunately like we always say that the Stormers, if we aren't scoring a ton of tries and and our attack isn't there, we just we just don't seem to win, you know. And 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 that's just unfortunately the reality of that game. Munster just really really brought it, and unfortunately as well, I ended up just sitting next to an entire crowd of Munster fans. So it was uh, it was it was uh, <laughs> you know they were they were great sports as well. I mean, I was pretty much. Uh, tearing up at the end of the game but you know i shook all their hands i mean at least it wasn't an english team or or, or something like that you know obviously there's no english teams in the urc but you know it's, it's an irish team so I'll, I'll take it as it comes but uh yeah it was it was an extremely disappointing loss i mean especially getting into the stadium three hours before the game and you couldn't even get a table at the beer tent or anything like that everyone was there the, the, the crowd and the atmosphere was insane but yeah, unfortunately, it just wasn't our day. Look, I think there'll, there'll be many a review done on the game in terms of 
Storms and, and what they could have done better. I think there's been a lot said about Marnie Lubbock and maybe him not being up to, to scratch and, and the game maybe getting to him. Potentially a bit of a hangover from the previous Munster game where where he maybe didn't put in his best performance and, and maybe a bit of a hangover from that. There was obviously one key moment for me in terms of his involvement on a negative sense. I think he had plenty of positive positive impacts. There's a charge down just before the final try where he was in his in his line. I think he he stepped one and went to kick and the ball got charged down. Munster turned it over and go over in the corner. Do you think that this game, in terms of from a, a, a Lubbock perspective, will be a good thing to, to build him heading towards the World Cup? Or do you think it's just going to tear down his confidence? I think I think to be honest, if you look at the the knockouts before the quarterfinals and the semifinals, even after a rough last two games in the in the um sort of round robin, he sort of really brought it back and was on fire. You know what I mean? And I think he he's obviously just gonna have to take a look at it because obviously maybe the the Irish side could be a a, a thorn a thorn. For him, but hopefully it isn't going into the World Cup because obviously when it comes to when it comes to the, the yeah the pool stage as well and and potentially the the knockout rugby we might just end up having to face an Irish team and you know I mean God forbid anything happens to Pollard he's he's next in line at that uh, that flyoff spot you know so hopefully he really learns what's um what's it well obviously he knows what's at stake here but ho- hopefully he really learns from these sort of mistakes and these issues and that and at least we can sort of look at it like that that he has got some experience in these high pressure situations against an irish side that if it comes down to it in the world cup he can sort of use that to his advantage and like we always say you know you learn more from your mistakes than your than your wins so i think i think he'll bounce back from it I think he's, um, I mean, it is what it is. He's had two great seasons with the Stormers. So, yeah, I, th- I think he bounces back from this. I think I'm on a similar mind, especially somebody like Andre Pollard going underneath his wing in the, the Springbok setup. Hopefully that builds him up and, and leads to a far better season next year. I say far better. The only, only better season that, that could have happened is the Stormers winning the season which is immense if you take into consideration the fact that Western Province Rugby is in administration at the moment. I think as South African fans, we're sometimes guilty of looking on the negative side of things rather than the positive. The reality is we were the second best team in the league. We'd won it last year, so hats off to the Stormers. They gave us a fantastic season this year. They really they did it playing a fantastic brand of rugby too, so I don't think that there's actually that many negatives other than maybe the final not really going our way at the end. The other question I had, Steaks, was do you think that the Stormers will have a far better home ground advantage next year when they can utilize something like this scrum or a pitch that actually doesn't tear up underneath them whenever they go to step? Because obviously at the moment, the, the pitch that is there is the soccer pitch from the World Cup in 2010, but they're replacing that in the offseason this year. Do you think that will have a massive difference in terms of the results and, and the way the Stormers play? I think it could. Um, I, I, I hope it doesn't have a, a, a make a difference in the way they're playing because the, the way they're playing is absolutely phenomenal. I think it'll definitely help the forwards and the scrum. Um, it'll it'll be a lot more of a tighter game in in that sense, and obviously a lot less sort of slipping. I mean, we play a lot of running rugby and uh, very flary rugby at that as well. So to have the guys sort of stay on their feet and balance that would definitely. Um, do us wonders, especially that sort of brand that we that we play at the moment. That is honestly super exciting. I mean, we haven't really had a um, a winning uh, South African team playing like this in geez, I don't, I don't even know how long. So, so it's an it's an incredibly exciting brand of rugby. So I wouldn't, I, w- I would hope that it didn't really change in, in that sense. But I think it obviously will definitely benefit us, sort of upgrading the the pitch. Talking about exciting rugby, Curry Cup over the weekend, a couple of exciting games, a couple of not necessarily that exciting games. Griffins lost to the Sharks 9-35. to 35. Now, I text you to say we might actually see the Griffins win at halftime when they were 9-6 up or whatever it might have been. Sharks ended up showing their class in the second half, and Griffins just seemed to run out of steam towards the end, just them repeating that, that kind of horrible cycle. 
what were your thoughts on that game, Steve? And, and was there anything there that stood out for you? Yeah, to be honest, man, I, I I didn't even watch any of the Curry Cup. I was so heartbroken over this last weekend. Had a busy Friday, so I didn't manage to watch the Friday games. But by the time it came to Saturday and that, like, it, it took me a while. I actually only ended up watching the highlights today. But I do remember the message you sent me about the Griffins, and I got super stoked. But, yeah, unfortunately, it just sort of... Uh, they just uh you know what it, it reminds me of our grade 11 team man <laughs> like in back in school where we'd, we'd play a killer first half man but we're just some some reason you just never really finish the game as strong as you started it and it just seems like the the griffins woes sort of continue but um a really good sharks team that at the moment are looking absolutely on fire obviously we have some urc players um going to the Sharks and the Bulls, especially, that's um, sort of uh, enhancing their performance, which, uh, side note, we'll definitely praise old Dobby in a, in a second or two when we talk about the Western Province team, but um, in, in regards to that. But yeah, I think uh, Sharks definitely showing a bit of class there. Talking about Province, they were obviously the second game on, on Friday. They ended up going down to the Lions 12 to 32. Lions just proved too classy, if I'm honest. Snella at Nahumba running the show from nine and Edville van der Malve just kind of reminding province fans how lethal he can be. Firstly, one thing about province not stacked with, with URC players, so not necessarily a result that should be expected, but almost one that we, we could be proud of in terms of them standing up and, and allowing themselves to be counted. Second thing, Sonelo Nohamba, world-class nine, right? How blessed are South Africa with scrum halves at the moment? It is absolutely incredible, man. Um, we, we're definitely going to chat about a segment a little bit later in terms of the Springbok selections. But when you just look at our depth with regards to scrum offs at the moment, it is absolutely insane when you see some of the guys that aren't in that, um, in that Springbok uh, training squad. It is incredible. Cheaters and the Griquas, that game tied 29 all. It was really, really tight. And the Griquas might actually find that this might be the game that slipped by them and might be one of the reasons that they miss out on, on the playoff chances. What were your thoughts on, on that game, Steve? And did you did you see the absolutely monstrous kick from the Griquas to, to go 29-26 up? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I definitely saw the kick. Um the kick at the end from a from a golden oldie that, that tied the game. <laughs> And um, stole that stole that win away from uh, the Griquas, but yeah, exactly as you say, it's. I mean, it's insane. I, th- I think it's what like like four, three, three or four teams that possibly even five teams that are had a, had a really good chance of making it into the top four. And uh, Griquas, obviously, that was a really good chance to get some um, points on a team that is in the top four, being the Cheetahs. And yeah, unfortunately, super exciting game. Really good, um, good little uh, arm wrestle there. I mean, the Cheetahs rolling more was just absolutely on points in this game. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, Griquas just just couldn't hold on to it at the end there. And uh, a very very good uh, penalty kick from um, from um, Pinar, I think it was, uh, just absolutely clean strike to save the game for the for the Cheetahs. Now. Final result in terms of Curry Cup from the weekend was the Bulls beating the Pumas 24 to 17. They were another one of the teams that was stacked with stars. Johan Huesen, Ulrich Lowe, Ambrose Papir, Nizam Kaur, Ron Nokia, Marcel Katia. They all kind of stand out on the team sheet. And it was a bit of a must win away from home and has pushed the Bulls right into playoff contention. What were your thoughts on that game? And, and, as a whole, do we think it's fair for for these teams to be dropping as many stars into into the games as they have been? I think um, with regards to the Blue Bulls, they obviously you know been holding on to results. I mean, you've got last week's results as well, like barely clinching to that one, and then you've got you've got this week as well. Performing decently against the Pumas, but exactly like you say, with these teams that have just stacked their team with the URC players, you almost sort of expect a little bit more from them. But uh, my personal opinion is there's no need to be doing that, man. Like at, at the end of the day, like, I mean, I'm, I mentioned with the with the Western Province results as well. 
you have uh, old Dobson. And I mean, we've mentioned on the podcast too, it's, it's, it's just, you know, you, you've spent like 12 weeks playing this tournament while everyone else is obviously at the URC and that, and, and you've done really well to sort of um, set your team up in the, in the round Robin. And then all of a sudden it's, okay, cool guys. We kind of want to win a title this year and, and, and get some silverware. So cheers for everything you've done, but we're going to start stacking the team. I just, I don't know. It just, it just doesn't really sit well with me, to be honest, you know, like, I mean, you have a team like Leinster who show their, their sort of, um, you know, character building and their, and their depth in their squad sort of performing extremely well. Certainly like the top team in the URC, unfortunately, well, um, unfortunately for them, they weren't able to convert it to, to a URC title, but it sort of just shows like confidence in your players that you can say like we, we aren't going to stack the team with with urc players and i think that's the that's the right way to do it i mean the, the bulls the sharks um stormers as well we they, they've, the guys have just basically finished two seasons of rugby you know they've played two competitions and now you're just sort of stacking them in the pot in the final like four or five weeks of the of the curry cup i just i just don't see a point in it man the, the, the curry cup what we've been saying this whole time is that it is exciting you know while the urc was going on there was no urc players there and it is still exciting it's great rugby it's the it's the last um little bit of uh of um national rugby that we have going on at the moment so me personally i don't i don't like seeing teams just sort of stack with their with their first team players i suppose the counter argument to that would be if we're talking about leinster they went for a bit of a mixed team in the urc semi and lost munster had they gone fully loaded, they probably would have won that game. So I suppose what teams need to decide is what's most important to them. Is it being fair to their players who who have got them as far as they or got them to the point that they're at now? Or is it winning trophies? I think in that sense, obviously with, with Leinster, it's just sort of priorities. I mean, they've got um, two tournaments that they're sort of playing and then they still, you know, chose, okay, we're going to um, go for the Heineken because obviously they were in the finals for the Heineken. Um, and they sort of had that mixed team and it just didn't go their way. But in terms of, of you know, when you're talking about the Curry Cup, you know, it's just um, like I, I, I get the counter arguments if it's, you know, if, if uh, we had the depth where our teams were really gunning for a final place in the Heineken Cup and then we can sort of load the URC team, you know. But our, our priorities are obviously Heineken Cup, um, URC and then this is like a, a, a third tournament almost you know what I mean it's just I don't know it's 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 the third tournament it's not like the second one or, or something like that so I suppose that's just sort of my opinion on it and as it stands the curry cup table looks like this you've got sharks toppling the table at 43 points cheaters in second on 41 points and then the pumas on 36 points thinking about it I mean in terms of the sharks and the cheaters they're almost uncatchable, if you know what I mean. Province, the Lions, and Bulls are all tied on 31 points. They, they're they all kind of clashing it out for that fourth spot. And then the Griquas aren't too far off with, with 30 points. Griffins are not even going to make it, so we're not even going to talk about them. Um, <laughs> but there's only two rounds left. Who are you picking for the playoff spots? Who Who's your, your top four, Steaks? I think my top four will be... Sharks, well, let me just look at the table because I, I was looking at the next two games as well, to, um, the next two weeks of fixtures as well. But I'd say Sharks end off on top. Cheaters, more than likely second. Um, I think the Pumas will manage to squeeze in at third. And then I think not, uh, It's gonna. It's, I'm being honest now, not Province, not Lions, but I think the Bulls are going to find a way to clinch that fourth spot just based off sort of um, the the next two weeks results. I mean, you got Bulls playing the Griffins, which should be a walkover. And then Bulls versus the Cheaters. Cheaters have not been too hot recently. So I think sort of the Cheaters will, start, will definitely stay in that top four spot. But I think the Bulls nudge the Cheaters. And then obviously you have Western Province facing the Griquas. That could realistically go either way based off how the Griquas played this last weekend. But then you also have Western Province playing the Sharks in the final week, which is not an easy game to try and clinch that that fourth spot i think if anything if anything sort of dobby's saying that he's not going to be um loading the urc team and sort of backing this um this province team 
maybe that lights a bit of a fire under them that they're saying, hey, there's this much confidence in us. We can actually go and do it. I think that's the only hope they have. And that really is a hope. But um, yeah, unfortunately, I just don't see Western Province um, getting in that top four spot. But you obviously have Pumas versus the Griquas, um, Pumas uh, versus the Cheetahs as well, which, which I mean, could go either way, to be fair. And then, uh, yeah, Lions are facing the Sharks this weekend. Don't see them beating the Sharks. And then, um, yeah, obviously Griff, uh, Griffins, but Bulls winning two games um, will put them into that fourth spot. Yeah, I think you make make a fair point. Just looking at that, I, I could absolutely see Province beating the Griquas. I think it's possible, but I don't don't necessarily see them beating the Sharks. So the, there'd have to be other results that went their way. As you say, Bulls definitely going to beat the, the the Griffins this weekend, and then they've they've got the Cheetahs to host. So it, it could go either way, but I reckon top four. It's probably going to stay pretty similar in terms of sharks, cheetahs, and pumas. Just that fourth spot that needs to be ironed out. And I reckon, I reckon, yeah, the bulls probably slide into that. We're also going to see the box preparing for the rugby championship and the rugby world cup. Looking at the recent training squad, is there anyone that surprises you in their inclusion, or anyone you think should be there in place of someone else, Steaks? I'll tell you what, um, obviously, sort of based off exactly what we've been chatting about um, with sort of fringe players that, um, you know, are not really expecting a call up and, you know, sort of even with, um, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I forgot his name for a second now, uh, Raymond Rule. <laughs> um, even ex- exactly what he says makes so much sense, you know, like a, a team like that should be very difficult to get into. They've obviously got their guys in this whole preparation for the World Cup, we are in World Cup year. You shouldn't be messing around with the team too much, especially if the guys are playing well. I mean, guys that are playing absolutely out of their socks, you know, that they've maybe gotten an MVP or something like that in their league, then, yeah, definitely people need to be called up. But I think it's a all-round, it's a pretty damn good squad i don't know I, I kind of was hoping to see papier if um over williams if i'm being completely honest I, I really do like the way he's been playing um when i've been watching the curry cup at the moment just the way he dots with the ball how quick he is from the base and a really really solid scrum off but i mean like we were just saying the the depth in the scrum offs at the moment is absolutely insane i mean Papier sort of being in the side. I mean, I don't see him being a a, a top three or, or probably getting much game time in a World Cup. So it's not really a huge, huge deal breaker that that he's not in the side over Williams. But apart from that, I think it's a, it's a pretty damn good training squad. I mean, the coaches are very confident in the team. It's, it's a very similar team that we've had uh, last year. And um, I'm looking forward to it, man. We've got well, a, a dominant side in terms of experience but a good couple of exciting, exciting young players that have had a bit of game time. They're obviously going to get a bit of game time now before the World Cup. So I think it's a very exciting team and I'm looking very, very forward to the the lead up to this World Cup. I think that somebody like uh, Ambrose Papier has been in and around the mix and, and the bot coaches know what they have in him. I think there's almost two levels to the players that they've got in there at the moment. Because if you look at the, the scrum hub specifically, You've got Faf, you've got Jaden Hendrickson, you've got Herschel Yankees and Kobus Reinach. Those four are probably fighting for three positions, right? To go to the World Cup. I reckon you're probably, you, you've got to take Faf. I reckon based on his performances last year, if he's fit, Jaden Hendrickson gets in there. And I think that potentially Herschel Yankees and Kobus Reinach might be fighting it out for the third spot. Grant Williams almost then comes in as a, a bit of a, not a trainee player, but a bit of a player who's in there to learn and adds a bit of point of difference. I think Grant Williams is almost a bit similar to the likes of Akobus Reinach in his speed, the way he the, the way he plays. So maybe wanting to have a, a like-for-like replacement. The main concern that I have got, or the main thing that we maybe need to think about with regards to these players is at the moment, Included in those squads, you've got Eben and Sia, right? But both of them, Sia's seriously injured, well on his way to recovery, though. Eben and Pollard both have niggles, let's put it that way. So really, the three main 
captain options we've got if we were playing a, a game tomorrow would be Dwayne, Vermeulen, Bukanyam, or Stephen Kitzloff. If I was thinking about that, my thoughts would be Dwayne Vermeulen's not a guaranteed starter anymore, unfortunately, because you've got other eights are absolutely tearing it up at the moment. Kitzloff, with the way that we work, he's probably a 40-minute man in terms of whether or not he comes off the bench or starts. So really, to my mind, the only player that you could maybe have there is a captain who will play likely up to 70-plus minutes would be Lacanya Um, and I would probably be handing him the captain's band on band. What are your thoughts, Steve? Would, would would you have somebody different? Yeah, I think um exactly what you're what what you're saying was sort of running through my mind when you when you uh, asked me about the segments and, and my thoughts and that is who who's sort of going to be on the field for for the longest time in that, you know. Obviously, you have uh Steven Kitsoff. I mean, he's only gonna play one half. And I think sort of this the the style of rugby that he's used to coaching is very very different to uh what we're used to seeing out of the Springboks camp i think if a Dwayne Vermeulen was maybe maybe two or three years younger and a bit more in his prime and the obvious starter it's a no-brainer to go with Dwayne Vermeulen he's an absolute wrecking ball he, he is someone that would lead from the front in um you know quoting quoting uh mr mr russi to fuck them up <laughs> Dwayne Vermeulen is definitely the guy to to sort of lead the charge in that sense but if, if you are talking about intelligent leadership um i mean you you are completely right in going with arm and someone that can be on the field for 70 plus minutes i mean you you, you definitely have to sort of go with lacanio yeah i think i would have in a heartbeat said Dwayne. I think that we've got we've got better players in that position now, which you never would have thought pre-Visa and pre-Yevon Rus. Now, the other team that won over the weekend that we need to say congratulations to are the Saracens team who beat the Seal Sharks with Ivan van Seel, speaking of scrum halves, who bagged the Prem title in England. Last and not least... A massive, massive well done to the women box who went on to win all three of their games in Madagascar last week to be crowned the Rugby Africa champions. That does mean that they'll be competing in the second tier of the inaugural Women's 15 tournament later this year. That's a new international competition aimed at increasing the competitiveness, reach and impact of the elite women's game. That tournament's going to be made up of three tiers, each made up of six different teams with some of the teams yet to be determined. The Springboks, as I say, will be going into the second tier, so that it's they'll be competing at a very, very high level. And speaking of which, this is a great opportunity to welcome in our guest for this week to give us her insight into that experience. We are delighted to be joined by current Springbok and Bulls player, recently crowned Rugby Africa champion, and the first Springbok woman to reach 100 points Libby you've had quite a few hectic days both personally and, and on the field too how's things how are you doing yeah it's good to be back home um Madagascar was wild wow what a an incredible experience eye-opening experience really but kudos to the fans out there I mean we played in front of a packed stadium and I, I remember thinking to myself that's not something that I think I've ever experienced in South Africa and hopefully with the World 15s tournament coming up in October Hopefully we'll also, you know, play in Cape Town in front of a packed stadium. It was really, it was special for me. And yeah, it's just good to be home, man. It's good to be home, just have a few days just to reboot, get back to myself and and then take on the bull season as it comes. Now, you mentioned it there in terms of recovery, etc. You guys played a lot of rugby over, over the course of last week. I think it was three games in, in one week. First things first, how were the celebrations over in Madagascar? And second thing is, how's the body feeling after playing that many minutes? Yeah, look, it's uh, it was three games in, in, in eight days, something that I've never done before. Um, I think it's something that a lot of the ladies haven't done before. It was hot in Madagascar. Not only us, but the other teams as well. You could see the fatigue was setting in, a uh, couple of players picking up some injuries and stuff. But I'm very proud of the girls that we we stuck it out. In terms of celebrations, I mean, short-lived. We're focusing now on the next step, which is the Tier tier 2 uh, World 15 tournament coming up in, in October in, in Cape Town. Uh, so that is now our next goal. And then from there on, we just hope to to elevate a foundation for us, the Africa Cup tournament, in terms of the future of, of our team. So, yeah, we're just taking have have a, a couple of days a couple of days off now just in terms of the minutes that certain players had and so on 
So I think everyone's really grateful for that. And we're very grateful for the fact that Saru and our unions are working so closely together and that they have this sort of unison. Listen, this player has played 70 minutes. This player has played. This one is available for and should be rested. And I really take my hat off to, to the coaches as well from our unions to be able to sort of accept that, take it in and realize that for me, for example, playing fly off, which is a really important position, but just for the coach to, to give me a call and be like, hey, Lips, listen, you've played 70 minutes in the last week. Um, we respect that, giving you the week off. Come back on Monday, refreshed, recharged, and ready to go. It sounds like they they're certainly stepping up their game in terms of the way they're managing players, which is is nice to see. Yourself and the team that played over the weekend also won both weekends of the Stellarbosch Challenges competition. You've mentioned the the women's fifteen tournament that's coming up, which is obviously really important in terms of growth of the game. How important do you think it is having that winning momentum going into the women's fifteen tournament later on this year? Look, playing that back-to-back, I mean, we just came back from Spain. I was under the influence that I'm going to have a couple of days or before I joined the union, the Bulls union again. And then the next thing I know, I received a call from the seven and saying, listen, am I willing to come and help? And of course, I mean, receiving a call up from the national team, whether it's 15s or sevens, I'm always going to be willing to do it. Um, but when I came back from the sevens, I did, I felt my body felt it. Uh, mentally, I felt it. And once again, when I came back, I mean, the, the Bulls Daisies launched their official, you know, contracting of, of ladies as first union in South Africa, contracted ladies, me being co-captain. There was a lot of media around that. There was a lot of pressures and, and expectations around that. So I knew I couldn't just come back from the sevens and take my 10 days off, sit back and just, you know, have that time for myself. So I, I committed to the Daisies and I went into that first game, played off the bench. I told the coach I'm, I'm willing to play, but play me off the bench just, just because I need a little bit of rest. And looking back now, I think it's very important for players and coaches to to sort of realize the the importance of your your mental ability to to deal with these kinds of things. I've ne- I've never in my life experienced something where I've played back to back to back to back, fifteen sevens, back to the daisies, back to this. And I remember when I was studying and and researching about burnout, and I was always like, oh, I don't understand how an athlete gets burnout because I mean, if you're doing what you love at the end of the day. How could you possibly wake up one day and just think to yourself, oh, I'm so tired of playing rugby, for example. And I honestly never thought that that I would be in that position. And there was just one day when I thought to myself, yo, it's it's getting a lot. I think I need to message Lynn. And I messaged Lynn Kent, our high performance manager. And I told her, listen, I'm, I'm going through quite a bit of stuff. I'm more emotional than I usually am. My body's fatigued. I'm doing all of my, my recovery protocol. I'm ice ball. I think I'm massaging. I'm stretching. I'm doing everything that I've been doing, but I'm picking up niggles. Mentally, I'm not there. I don't feel like I'm enjoying it, training as much as I should be. She told me, listen, thank you for, for flagging this with her. She's going to speak to management about it. And it was literally the next day that Coach Lee phoned me and he said, listen, Libs, you need time. Take time. And I told him, thanks. I mean, all I want is one or two days. Just let me go to the farm. Let me just be out there in nature, find myself. And he told me, no, Libs, you're not listening to what I'm saying. I'm telling you, you're coming into camp on Wednesday evening. And that is that. And I just said, you know what? Thanks, coach. It's, I, I appreciated it. And I appreciate them for, for, for realizing that I was, go, I was pushing myself into the red. I also didn't realize that at the time. But thinking, thinking back to it now, I, I can sort of say to myself, yo, m- mentally I wasn't, if I went straight into camp after the sevens thing, after the Bulls, straight into camp, I, I, I don't think I would have had such a great performance at, at Africa Cup. And it's also a conversation that myself and Lynn had whether I should play Africa Cup or not. And I told the, I think just a week off, a week in the bushveld should do me good. Let's chat afterwards about it. And coming back into camp, being back with the girls, when I walked in there, I just felt this, new energy and this one to get back involved with the team. And I, I mean, I miss my teammates and it was just great. It was honestly, it was great. Bodies are soft eight days, of course, but yeah, no, it was, what an experience. What an experience. Madagascar's wild. I can't tell you. And you, you said it there in terms of in Cape Town towards the end of this year, we're, we're obviously hoping to see packed out stadiums and, and great crowds as you had in Madagascar with the women's 15 competition, myself and Steve's actually touched on it in, in this week's podcast how would you describe the setup of that competition to a new fan who maybe doesn't know what it is? And would you have preferred if there was promotion and relegation between tier one and two, the same way as, as it is between tier two and three? No, absolutely. I think 
or hopefully wall drive you will will consider a relegation upgrade sort of option in the future i understand it's the first year that they trying out this tournament so it's new for for all of the teams and i i think and i've been telling everyone because often you know there's there's haters out there that'll say yeah but you know south africa's playing against madagascar south africa's playing against kenya i mean you know, the, the competition isn't great, but this is what we have to do to get to where we want to be. We have to play Africa Cup. We have to win Africa Cup to qualify for, for Tier 2 in the World 15. It's, we can't just walk in there and say, oh, we don't want to play against the African countries because that's not how it works. Unfortunately, that's not how it works. And I often also tell people 100 years ago, whenever when men's rugby started in South Africa, would that same person have backed the men's team if... They just started, no one knew what rugby was and they sort of sussing it out and whatever. And I think it, it would have been exactly the same. We're just ahead of time now. Our men are so established and our ladies team has been progressively growing. And this World 15s tournament that's coming up now is really, it's a good pool of competition. I mean, it's now that's qualified, it's Japan and uh, I think Scotland. I reckon Fiji is going to qualify as well. Maybe if Spain is going to be in there. Teams that we've played against, and yes, we we we've we've beaten Spain, we've beaten Japan. Uh, Fiji came back and beat us in the World Cup. I mean, we let that one slip. These are all very very close games, and I think it's going to be such great quality rugby to showcase in South Africa. And if people can just come out to the stadiums and just give us a chance, give us ten minutes of your time, just watch ten minutes of our game on TV. If you don't like it, great to you. You know, you tried it. It's fine. You can move on with your life, support the men and, and leave the ladies. But I just want to encourage people to give us 10 minutes. Give us 10 minutes. Watch some good rugby. Our team has been playing so great lately. And like I said, the competition is going to be great in this tournament. Playing against a team like Scotland. I mean, when the men play against a team like Scotland, oh, it's a big thing. And I'm hoping that when, when crowds see South Africa versus Scotland, they're also going to get that like, oh, whoa, what a game. This is going to be amazing. We need to get out there. We need to support. So yeah, I hope people can come out. I hope they'll come and support us. Um, and we have, we do have fans here. We have a large fan base. But what I saw in Madagascar was something else. I don't. I, I've never in South Africa played in such a packed stadium. Uh, hopefully in October we'll we'll get something close to that. I think ex- exactly what you're saying, sort of like a, a team that's um, growing and developing in the sports. I mean, I always reference whenever we sort of talk about like women's sports and that. But this last. Uh, I think it was the the Euros uh, football um, tournament. I was in uh, England at the time and, and it was unreal, not only the fact that it was great sport, but the marketing and the push behind it. And then you get England going to the finals and it's like a full packed Wembley Stadium. Obviously, when it's exactly like you say, I mean, men's rugby has been around for so long and you guys are pretty much the pioneers of women's rugby in South Africa. Your your schedule sounds insane. You know, I mean, these tournaments can't be bloody a month and a half long like the Rugby World Cup is. It's got to be a lot shorter and the, the games are played are so like close together. Your schedule sounds absolutely insane you come back you're playing more what are some of the the challenges and um the pressures you're sort of facing being a pioneer in the sport and growing it in the country you know what i i often think to myself i i honestly when i started playing rugby i didn't think it would be a career option i didn't think that it was i thought it was just going to be sort of a, a hobby that i'm doing on the side and as much as i was doing all that i can to promote the sport and attract ladies to to women's rugby i never ever thought that i would be in the in the fortunate position of being part of a team that is playing professionally that's doing what we're doing playing in the world 15s coming up now we're playing internationally we join crowds i mean people know my name there's girls at schools that know my name i never in my wildest dreams thought yo i'm gonna be a i'm gonna be a pro athlete on it i mean when i was in school even whether it's netball hockey all of our ladies sports it wasn't a thing where a girl could say, I'm going to be a professional athlete. It was we just, okay, you're going to go study, you're going to study teaching, you're going to study medicine or whatever. There wasn't the option of being an athlete. And I think, like you say, women's sports in South Africa, or not in, not just in South Africa, but in the world, has grown at such a rapid rate. Like, it, it baffles my mind. I mean, if we look at the Cricket World Cup now in South Africa, what those girls achieved, they didn't even win. And they achieved the most amazing things, sold out stadiums. I mean, the crowd backings, now the Netball World Cup's coming up and we know our Netball girls are top contenders for, for, for their World Cup. 
I mean, we're all backing each other. At the end of the day, we all will see each other on, on streets or at HBC training. And it's not a, a, a matter of, oh, you know, you're a netball player. I'm a rugby player. It's a matter of, you know, what respects to you. You're doing your thing. I'm doing my thing. It's a different sport, but we both, we all fight in the same battles. And I think everyone, all of us have that, that common goal of just promoting sport in South Africa for women, whether it be rugby, whether it be soccer, whether it be cricket, we all have a common goal. And that is just to, to promote rugby in South Africa for young girls and for them to realize and to see, you know, if you have a talent and you, are, you can identify it at a very young age, you can nurture that talent. And by the time you're 18, I mean, if I played rugby by the time I was, when I was 12 years old, by the time I was 18, I would have been amazing. I think, I think I would have been oh, better than maybe more nice than, but I didn't because it wasn't an option. It wasn't a thing. I didn't know. I mean, when I was passing a rugby board, it was like, oh, you know, for fun kind of a thing. But yeah, I think all of us have that common goal in mind and we're all doing our little part for women's sports in the world, not just South Africa, but in the world. To my knowledge, it's very, very difficult for young girls in grade one or two to play rugby. The options that they've got, kind of your netballs, your hockey, and that's obviously specifically at school level, it might be slightly different at a club level. Do you think that is the biggest or one of the biggest barriers to young girls getting into the sport? And the follow-on from that would be, when did you fall in love with the game and how did that actually come about? You know what? I I don't think that, like you say, netball and hockey at school is a, the problem why young girls aren't getting to rugby. I, I think it's it comes down to the higher people in schools, in organizations involved with young young athletes that aren't willing, let these girls experience rugby, let them try a thing out. I've been to a couple of schools now where I've chatted to ladies and even even my high school when I just left and it was a couple of years that I, I didn't go back there and simply because of the fact that the, the headmaster wasn't, they, they didn't buy into women's rugby, it wasn't a thing. And last year I went back and I spoke to, to the kids at the, the sports awards evening and the headmaster came to me and he's like, yo, he would love to start women's rugby at the school. And I was kind of like, is this the same school that a couple of years told me they not interested in women's rugby and then i remember okay it's a new headmaster things are changing and i've seen it across a lot of schools especially in pretoria where, where i'm sort of moving around is that there's been schools when i just graduated where i've gone to the school and said listen i want to speak to your ladies about women's rugby where the teachers or the headmasters told me now nah, they're not they're not interested they don't want to know about it they've got too many they've got too many other sports that's always the there's too many other sports for the ladies which is fine great but these days, now these the same school that told me they don't want me to go speak to their ladies about rugby are now phoning me saying, please come speak to our ladies about rugby, which is really amazing. And I think by what our team has done, the 15s and the 7s, you can see that they're to notice us. People are starting to maybe see us on TV, maybe hear about it on the news. I mean, the 7s, the, the Varsity 7s is growing at a massive rate now. Just because of the fact that our sevens qualified now for for the for the um, HSBC World Series, which is amazing. I mean, like how how cool is that now that by doing something so small, so obsolete for us, now all of a sudden there's young girls that are rethinking their their sport choice and be like, oh, you know what? Yeah, I'm playing hockey now. I'm not number one hockey player. Maybe I'm number five, but I can be number one rugby player. Or the same with athletes. We've had many athletes coming from from the track to sevens because it's such a fast-paced game maybe she's number three number four she's fast in seven she's blitz but on the track i mean it's not really going to make a name for herself so then they come to sevens so these little things are starting to creep up more and more in the different sports we're hearing so much more about ladies that are making shifts from other sporting codes i mean there's danal lochner now in the 15s that came from netball she played for the protein netball team now playing for, you know for the springbok woman for one year and and doing great. I mean, she's absolutely amazing. Such a natural talent with the ball. Like you'd never, people don't don't realize athletes are so 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 versatile in the fact that a ball's a ball no matter what the shape is. And that fire that we have inside is is something that I can't even explain it to people when they ask me what what drives me. There's this little flame inside. I don't know what it is. It's inside there, and I think every athlete has it. But for me, in terms of falling in love with the game, it wasn't like I mentioned earlier. I didn't grow up thinking oh, I'm going to be a pro athlete. Never. I remember being at school and teachers telling me, yo, Libby, remember, you know, you're not going to make money from 
playing soccer, you're not gonna make money from playing netball, you're gonna have to study, you're gonna have to do this, you're gonna have to get a degree, blah, 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 blah. And I respect that because you do need something to fall back on. Uh, and I think a lot of athletes disregard that a little bit, especially our young men that get exposed to, you know, Craven Week so early, pulled up into under 20s box, the next thing they know they're a spring box, play for four or five years, and then after that, nothing. Because he didn't invest in himself or, in, you know, invest to get something behind his name. So I, I was very driven academically. And I thought, okay, if I do good in my academics, the sport is a bonus. I can keep on doing sport, keep on doing sport. And we had a teacher at my school that was involved with touch rugby. And when I was in grade nine, so when I was 16, he told me, now I must come try this touch rugby thing. Never heard of it in my life. I just thought, how weird. Like, I love playing with a rugby ball. I know girls can't play rugby. I know I can't play with the boys. But now here's a, here's a game, touch rugby, that some people are playing. It's quite big in Joburg. It's quite big in Cape Town. And it's acceptable. So I channeled all of my energy into that, into touch rugby. And touch rugby for me is the foundation and what Northern touch rugby has done for me. There's been so many times, I mean, provincial touch rugby is a massive thing and people don't even know this. SA touch is a massive thing. People don't know this because, you know, we just, we don't promote it enough. We don't speak about it enough. People need to be speaking about it on, on radio, on newspapers, on TV, to, just to get that, that recognition. And if it wasn't for, for the touch rugby, I remember, that was my my love but touch rugby unfortunately is a pay-to-play sport and there were many years when our oh, under 17 and then when i was under 19 and then under 21 team and then the senior team when i just didn't have money to go on to and i, I told mr and mrs clark who were the heads of, of northern touch at that time i told them i it's unfortunate it's the position position i'm in and you know it is what it is and every single year they told me lips don't worry Lips, don't worry, we'll make a plan. We'll make a plan. And through the fundraising for all of the teams, they always made a plan for me to go on those interprovincial touch rugby tournaments every single year, up to a point where I got selected for the national SA touch team. And we were preparing for the World Cup, which took place in 2015 in Australia and Coffs Harbour. And thinking back now, it's so funny because for me, that was my only goal. That was. I'm going to play World Cup touch. I'm going to be a touch player. I'm going to go there. We're going to play in the World Cup and it's going to be amazing. And then I don't really think much of that. Then I'm going to study and then I'm going to, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to wing it from there. And it was while I was prepping for, for the touch World Cup at Tux's fields that the sevens coach sort of saw me and he called into one side and he's like, listen, you know, you can pass a rugby ball. What are you doing? Where are you from? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm studying um, my first year and I'm preparing for the touch rugby World Cup. That's actually what I'm doing. And he's like, well, don't you want to give sevens a try? And I thought, Yo, I don't know. I don't know if I can tackle someone. I actually don't know how to do it. don't know what it's about. And then the more he spoke to me, I'm like, okay, ugh, seven minutes. That doesn't sound so bad. I mean, touch rugby is a 40-minute game. It's 20 minutes off. It's, it's quite it's long. I'm fit. Seven minutes is, is nothing. I, I got this. I got this. So I trained a few days. And then he's like, listen, we're going to, to Paris in two weeks if you want to come, if you're available. And I'm like, well, I mean, once again, coming from a sport where you, where you pay to play, now this guy's telling me I can go to Paris for free and play rugby, which I've never done. I was like, okay, well, I've never been to Paris. This sounds great. Let's go. Got on the plane, got there. I think I might have played a total of three minutes in that entire tournament, and it was awful. It was horrible. I remember walking off that field thinking to myself, what am I doing? Um, I did not know at all what I got myself into. Before that tournament, I'd never tackled a person. I didn't know the the physical beating that your body goes through. All I thought is, oh, seven minutes, that's nothing. Seven minutes goes by like like this, I can do it. So I came back, thought, okay, no. Told this man, listen, um, no, this is not for me. I'm gonna just play touch, leave me be. I'm gonna play touch, this is great. And then he, he left me, he left me. A couple of months later, he phones me and he tells me, listen, Dubai Sevens is coming up. Tucks in plays in the Invitational Division. Do, would I like to reconsider maybe giving the sevens thing a go and a, a go again? And I thought, yeah, I haven't been to, to Dubai ever. When am I going to get the chance to go to Dubai again? So I'm like, oh, okay, okay, cool. Let's go. I'll pack my bag. Let's go to Dubai. This time, though, I did have a little bit more time. So I prepped a bit better, got in the gym, did a little bit more fitness, worked on my strength, all that stuff. And after that Dubai tournament, I was like, oh, no, this, this is great. Now that I'm in a 
place where I'm physically fit enough and capable of doing this thing in seven minutes, I think I, can, I think I can do this. And I mean, Tuck's women's team traveled the world six or seven times a year, which is flipping amazing. I mean, no club team in South Africa does that. So I was very, very fortunate to be there. I also then got a bursary to study at Tuck's with this rugby. I was one of the first girls who got given a rugby bursary because when I got there, it was such a big thing for me. I told them, listen, I'm playing SA Touch. Uh, uh, that's it. I, all I have is I'm playing SA Touch. And I remember them telling me, yeah, but Touch rugby is something you play on the beach. You know? And I was like, oh, come on. I mean, I'm an elite athlete. Come on. So it was It was really, it was, there's so many ups and so many downs. And the, the sevens is really what, what got me involved in it. And I must say, kudos to COVID. Everyone is very depressed about COVID. But for me, if it wasn't for COVID, I would have never played 15s. I would have never given 15s a shot. And I would have never been kept as a Springbok. I would have never gone to a World Cup if it wasn't for COVID, honestly. Because after COVID, there was no rugby. There wasn't sevens happening. And I thought, okay, well, the only thing that's happening is this 15s thing. Let me give it a shot. The coach on the Bulls phoned me and said, listen, just come. The World Cup's been postponed. I think you can be a Springbok. And I was like, ah. And a Springbok, you know, I don't, know, I don't have time for this 15 thing. And looking back now, I don't regret a single moment of the time I've invested in, in the 15th game. I think um, whenever I sort of like see situations, it, it takes me back to like the UFC, maybe like 20, 25 years ago, where people were street fighting and it was seen as this like hooligan sport. Like you can't make money off it. You can't do this. But, you know, people still like, you know, really pushed hard to get in that industry. And then now you look at it and they're making like boatloads of cash and stuff. Stuff like that. Obviously, um, an attitude that I absolutely love is when people tell you no, like this is stupid and it's, it's not working, it's not worth it, you're not going to do it, but you're just able to just pretty much put your middle finger up and say like, well, I'm going to do it anyways. Where does that, and obviously I see that in you, so like where does that like attitude and that like self-belief when people are telling you no, that this isn't going to work out and that, where does that come from and, and how do you sort of deal with that? Oh, you know, absolutely. I mean, like I said, I've had teachers tell me, sports not a thing. I've had my best friends tell me, listen, Libs, when are you going to stop with this rugby thing? Like, you need to get a job now. You need to do this. You need to do that. And I thought to myself, like I said, before COVID, I thought, oh, I think I'm going to hang up my boots now. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm tired. I'm playing the sports. I'm not really, it's not really bringing anything in. I mean, I'm just doing it for the love of the game. And I can do more off the field than what I thought I could do on, on the field. And there's, there's something some little spark deep 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 down inside me that from a very young age with my upbringing and looking back now it, nothing ever came easily and it's very easy for people to to see us now on a on a world stage and think yo but you know let me went to a private school that's all they see but no one knows about the backstory of how did i get into a private school why was i at a private school why, how did this happen you know people don't know that and i was always in a position of there was always something against me. There was always, oh, there wasn't money, or, oh, we're too far, or, oh, not this year, maybe next year, or there was always a little something in the way. It was never, I could never just look at something and be like, I'm going to do this, and, oh, yeah, it's gonna, we're just going to do it, and it's going to be great, and it's going to be easy, and we're going to win at life. And, and my aunt always tells me, everything is awesome when we're part of a team, which is from the Lego movie, and... That uh, that's like 100% in, in our little close family circle, a thing that we live by is it's been so tough for all of us and everyone has battled. There's, there's certain people in my family, like my aunt, for example, who's battled with me through certain things. And if we weren't so closely knit together and such a, a team, I wouldn't have been where I am today. And she wouldn't have been where she is today. So just as much as these people in my family that's helped me and supported me to, to live this dream and to become a spring rock, so have I helped them to do their things and start their businesses and achieve their goals. I think it's, it's something that, that oh, it's so easy for us to forget about the little things, little family members, friends along the way that, that have helped you or just supported you a little bit to get you, get you where you are. But at the same time, those people that keep saying no or, I mean, I drive a Land Rover Defender, which my mom took me to school in grade one with that same car. And when I left the school, I, that, that was my car. And I, it was one foot in the grave and the thing wasn't driving. And it actually sucked up more money than anything else. And it, there was people telling me, sell this thing, sell it. Just get a little car. You're a student, get a little car. It's lights, lights on fuel. You know, it's, it's, just a, it's just a wise thing to do. And 
like things like that. And I was just like, you don't understand. It's not a, it's not about the money for me. It's about the sentimental value. And I'm using that Land Rover as an example now, but with everything in my life, it wasn't just a matter of, I will just leave it and we'll do something else that's easier. It's so sentimental. It's something I'm so invested in. My heart is so pumped up with the, the love to do this thing that no matter how many people told me, nah, leave it, or when are you going to stop, or are you sure you want to play rugby? I mean, rugby's not for girls, blah, 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 blah. That was just adding fuel to my fire of another reason to show these people why I'm doing what I'm doing. I think there's, there's, a, there's a message in there to, to younger players. If, if you've got a dream, go, go and do it. And, and everything that you've done is so admirable. My question was in terms of you're, you're only 28 at the moment, right? So you're, you're yeah. still young, especially in, in a sporting sense. You're very far away from, from hanging up the boots. But when you do, do you think that you'll stay on in the game, maybe picking up the coach's clipboard? Or is the real passion maybe going to be trying to promote the, the growth of the women's game once that happens? I think um, when, when I do decide to hang up my boots, hopefully if injury allows after there's maybe two more World Cups, I'm definitely going to still be involved in women's rugby. I'm still going to be there promoting the sport. I think the platform that I have at the moment and what I've achieved without even thinking about it, without even realizing I have such a good platform to, pro- to promote the sport now. And I really want to, especially out there in our farming communities and stuff, just get to those Afrikaans schools, speak to the old women that are so against women's rugby and tell them, hey, listen, Times are changing, mate. Either you come along or you're going to sit at home and your daughter's going to play rugby and you're never going to see it. So uh, I'm definitely going to be involved in some way. Um, Maybe not necessarily directly in coaching. I I don't know if I have the patience for it. Uh, Maybe kicking consultant specifically, but definitely somewhere along the sidelines promoting the sport just in South Africa, starting in South Africa, firstly, um, getting a few more girls involved, just exposing athletes from other sports to rugby and then from there maybe world rugby will get me in somewhere somewhere somehow i think what i have at the moment is is an asset to the game and i hope to just keep giving back even after i've hung up on boots on there we usually end a full question quick fire round so first thing that comes into your head best player you've played with or against libby oh that's a good one uh i think the french number nine right. great Great. And uh, then number 10, uh, admire her. Uh, in, in my eyes, she's one of the best, best flowers in the world, honestly. Best teammate or the best value on a night out? So post winning a game, who's who's the best value? Uh, definitely Ramundi. She plays right. nine for me at the Bulls. And her and I started this rugby journey together. And in COVID, we'd sneak off to, fe- to, to a field and sneakily train and you know, because we weren't allowed to go onto rugby fields because there's COVID. And we joked about saying, yeah, yeah, imagine if in one year from now we're playing in the, in the Springbok team in the World Cup, blah, blah, blah. And we just, we honestly joked about it. And yeah, she's my, she's my go-to. She's always got my back. On a night out, on a morning in, wherever I'm going, if there's one person I'll call, it'll definitely be her. And best game of your rugby career? Best game has to be, for me personally, the Fiji game in the World Cup. Uh, we did end up losing the game, but for me, that game is just, oh, what a fight. What a fight. I mean, Fiji, kudos to them for coming back. Uh, that, that last kick that I kicked, I, I mean, I, I told the ladies, had we won this game, that would have possibly been the biggest kick in my career ever, but we didn't. So now I need to go out there, I need to do it again. And yeah, that was definitely, oh, it was a great game. The competition was great. The kick was great. The crowd was great. The vibe was great. It was just that that's definitely something I'm never going to forget. Do you have any pre-match rituals other than listening to Nickelback? (laughs) Nickelback is my go-to to get pumped up before a game. But my hair braiding, once again, Romandi is is my go-to person for that because I'm I'm a very poor bad Afrikaans girl in terms of braiding my own hair. I mean, it, uh, that's just the thing that Afrikaans girls are born to do is to braid hair. And apparently I missed out on, on, on that experience somewhere in my life. So she's my go-to person, the hair braids, the ribbons. That is, I, I, I played one game last year when we played, I think, against Namibia with 
one ponytail and worst decision of my life. It was awful. My hair was in my way. And so I think definitely that the braids thing is, it's going to stick until I end my career one day that that is my, that is my must on game day. There is no negotiations about it. I must braid my hair and there must be ribbons in my hair. Full stop, done. And that's it. Louis, look, thank you so much for your time today. It's been very, very interesting for us to, to see it from a professional's perspective and, and hear about all the challenges that professional women's rugby players are going through at the moment. I think that the the growth of the game really, really needs to be driven. And I think that starts with the spectators. A lot of a lot of men particularly are quite guilty of going, well, I can't grow the game. There's nothing that I can do. But that's so, so wrong. Watch the games, go down to support, get out there. But thank you so, so much for your time today. It's been super, super interesting. And uh, myself and Stiegs will be cheering you on from the sidelines. No, thanks so much for for reaching out to me. Uh, I, I know it's been a long time coming. I mean, I think the first time you messaged me is many months ago and I've been so busy. And th- it's often that people message me and want to do things like this. And I'm, I'm so willing and, and open and I want to promote the sport and I want to get in- involved with with things like this kind of podcast, that kind of podcast, like I want to get the, the name out there. And thank you for just being patient and realizing, oh, you know, this girl's got a schedule. I'm in Madagascar, there's no Wi-Fi. I, so that was the wildest experience of my life. But yeah, just just your patience around all of this planning and stuff. I really appreciate it. And and thanks for what you're doing for, for, for our game, for promoting it. And these things don't go unnoticed. And Hopefully in a couple of years when we sell out maybe a Twickenham in 2025, I can organize you a, a seat in the Lewisy there. Myself and myself and Steaks will definitely be along to that. That'll be so, so good. But thank you again. Really, really appreciate it. And good luck with the rest of the year. And uh, good luck against Scotland, Japan, Spain, and everybody else at the end of the year too. No, thanks so much, Scott. Really appreciate it. Steaks, Libby Jans von Rensburg. That was such an interesting conversation in terms of just getting a bit of perspective on where the women's game's at at the moment and and the fact that it's nowhere near where it needs to be. But Libby, her teammates, and a lot of other people in South Africa are really doing their best to, to get it where it needs to be as soon as possible. No, exactly. I mean, even this this whole conversation was so insightful. It sort of reminds me of that um, interview we did with SP Murray on the, on the Japanese league. Because, I mean, so many... I, I think at the end of the day, as South African fans... We are very arrogant in the sense of, you know, the Springboks are, are three-time world champions. Like we we have like an expectation of our rugby. And if it's not that, then then we aren't gonna watch it and stuff like that. And and I think it's at the end of the day, when you when you look at women's rugby and, and everything she says, I mean, it literally boils down to even, you know, like starting a business or, or or anything like that. You get a lot of no's, you get a lot of people that that don't agree with it or don't think it's that great. They don't they don't like the idea and that. And it sort of uh, reminds me of this of this famous like Walt Disney quote um, from his wife when uh, Disney World was like opened, you know, Walt Disney had died already. And the main guy sort of turned to his, his uh, wife and said, you know, oh, if, if if only he was here to to see this right now. And then she turned around and said, well, if he didn't see it, then this wouldn't be here. And it, it literally boils down to that. You know, these everyone who is involved in women's rugby sees the vision. They see what the future can be. As she said, men's rugby has been around for hundreds of years. So the fact that they're pioneering it and, and hearing exactly their schedule and, and what they're doing to promote it, it is whether you like it or not, whether you think it's um, good rugby or not good rugby, the fact remains is you've got to show them the utmost respect for what they're doing in literally pioneering the sport. And that that interview was absolutely amazing to to get the insights and just hear everything that goes on behind the scenes. Definitely. And I think message to those spectators, once again, get down, watch the games online, TV, wherever it might be, and get down to support the women later on this year at the, the Women's 15 competition. Steegs, as we said earlier, Curry Cup being the, the main rugby fixtures for this weekend as the URC has come to an end. Usual quick fire round. Griquas v. Province, who's taking that? Uh, province by three. I'm going to say Province by two. Bulls v. Griffins? Bulls. Griffins by two. Pumas v. <laughs> Ch- Pumas v. Cheetahs? Um, I think the... Oh, jeez, this is going to be a tight one. But I think... Um... I, I think Pumas takes it by four. Um, I'm going Pumas too. I'm not sure on the scoreline there, to be honest. 
Then final one, and maybe actually the game of the weekend in terms of competitiveness and implications in terms of the log. Sharks v Lions. I think the Sharks take it. I think I think it's going to be a tight game. It's going to be tighter than what people think, but um, I think Lions are going to fight hard to try and get into that contender contendership for the knockouts. But uh, I think the Sharks take it. I'd like to see the Lions win, but as you say, I think the Sharks will. I'd like to see the Lions win, not because I don't like the Sharks. Let's just clarify that point. I'd like to see the Lions win to make the final round really interesting. But as you say, I think the Sharks will just have too much. Now, that's all we've got time for this week, folks. Thanks to Libby for her time and for sharing her amazing story. We'll be back next week to look at the Curry Cup as it heats up with a current Curry Cup player and also to update our Springbok 23 based on current Springbok availability. Until then, follow us on the socials and we'll catch up with you next week.